I'll be reading out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and it can be found on page 1165 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely concern for for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the, in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself also will also come. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for uh, your word and uh, just pray that uh, you would illuminate it to us. Uh, just uh, um, put your words on our pastor's lips and and let us uh, glean from what he has to share that you've, you've put on his heart. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Good morning. Can you hear me? Kinda? Okay, there we go. Good morning. So, I haven't heard a squeal yet, but please remember the bathrooms have changed so you can lock the door behind you. Um, Cami, thank you. Cami kept all of our contractors lined up and ready to go, and I think they finished ahead of schedule. So thank you for helping us. Uh, we trust that the new remodeled bathrooms uh, are a blessing to all of us, as well as our brothers and sisters from East Randolph who will be joining us uh, on Wednesday evenings moving forward. Uh, last week we saw Paul uh, charge the church in Philippi to be obedient, to be steadfast, and to be joyful, modeled after the life of Jesus. We continue in this large section of unity within this specific church this morning with two examples to follow with Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I thought it would be helpful to recap some of the main verses that we have touched upon uh, over the last few weeks to lead us to where we are today. Uh, starting in Philippians 1, verse 21, I think this is the central verse, at least it's becoming more and more so for me, um, for the book of Philippians, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
working this out in Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this unity, as we saw, is modeled in Jesus, chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this unity is modeled by Paul, Philippians 2, 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And so we've seen Paul's example. We've seen Paul model this life of unity and sacrifice. And this morning, as I said, we will see it modeled by two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I think we'll see that Timothy models what it means to live for Christ. And I think we'll see with Epaphroditus what it means to die for Christ. And so will you pray with me as we get back into our passage this morning. Father, we thank you that we can rejoice at being together. We, think we, we, we thank you that we can rejoice even a new bathroom. And God, we want to rejoice as we are taught by your word, as we are encouraged by your word. God, would you give us the grace to follow it, to obey it, and to worship you because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we go back to Paul's missionary report. And he starts to connect the circumstances that he is in with the things that he has now taught us about the person and work of Christ and how we're to model it. And so he brings in two examples uh, to model this church unity after. And we start in verse 19. I'll read it for us again. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And I hope therefore to send him just as I s soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So who is Timothy? Timothy is also the co-author Paul references at the beginning of this letter. Timothy is Paul's beloved son in the faith. Paul, when he writes his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says this, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul loves this brother. Paul has invested in this brother, but like a son. Timothy first shows up in Acts chapter 16. In verse 1, we see this, that Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra as he's on his missionary journey. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was also a believer, but his father was a Greek. And right after this, Paul and Timothy, they go on the journey together, and after a couple quick stops, they end up in the city of 
Philippi. The Philippians have known Timothy from the very beginning of their existence as a church. And Timothy, as we saw, is both Greek and Jewish. And therefore, he had a lot of influence in the early church. As we've seen, this letter is calling this church to be unified. And there's probably no greater person for Paul to send to this church from such a diverse background to help them to maintain and develop their unity. Paul hopes to send this man to Philippi to help for this very purpose. But Paul says he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy. Lord willing, Paul will send Timothy to Philippi. And it's a reminder that God is in control of everything. God is sovereign, as we saw and I've said before, that God's providential hand, his wise application of his sovereignty is in control of all things. Many of you will travel this holiday season. It's probably more appropriate to say, well, Lord willing, I will make it to Boston to catch my flight. Or Lord willing, my aunt will join me for the holidays. Or Lord willing, I will make it to my sister's house for Thanksgiving. And James 4.15 is a good reminder. James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so, friends, we cannot read our Bibles too quickly or we will pass over some important theology. That's why we're breaking down the book of Philippians, how we're breaking it down. We allow God's word to teach us and guide us as we apply what we read in the scriptures to our lives. And I'm glad God led us to this book for this particular time that we are in today. And we see why Paul wants to send Timothy as we continue. He says he has no one like him. At the end of each of Paul's letters, he often will recount a list of friends and partners in the gospel and greet them or thank them or encourage the church to say something or do something for these people. And in all of Paul's letters, he mentions 59 people. But Timothy is unique. It's kind of like Paul has only 59 Facebook friends, but only one is his real friend. So why? Timothy cared for this particular church in Philippi. He was there when it was planted. Kind of like sending Marty back to Cornerstone for a visit. He's genuinely concerned, though, for the welfare of this church, as we see in verse 20. In other words, it was second nature for him to love this church. It's one thing to say that he loves this church. Kind of like, oh, I'll pray for you. And then you get distracted and you forget to pray. Or you start up a conversation with someone and you say, oh, how are things going? And you see somebody else walk by and you get distracted and you kind of want to go have a conversation with somebody else. I, I do that often and I don't like it when that happens. But for Timothy, his love isn't just lip service. It is real. In the original language, Paul says that he has no one like Timothy or that he has no one equal in soul. 
Paul says the same thing earlier in Philippians chapter 2 where he's charging this church. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What Paul is saying to the Philippians is be like Timothy. He truly does this on your behalf. Like Paul, Timothy's focus was not on himself. It was on others. It was on this church. And Paul says that Timothy genuinely loves you. Timothy is also an example of what we see in Jesus in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. A man who is concerned not for his own interests, a man who thought of others more significant than himself, a man who loves Christ. To Timothy, he sacrifices as Christ as he's loving Jesus himself. Friends, no one cares like Timothy. He has proven himself to this church and he has proven himself to Paul who hopes to send him. And as you see that Paul uses language of father and son. Figuratively, Paul is like a father to Timothy. Timothy is as a son to Paul. And Paul is using imagery of spiritual parenthood. And this is an Old Testament idea where the Jewish idea of showing how the people of God are to function with each other. You ladies, you learned about what it is to have spiritual motherhood at your retreat this past spring. And the entirety of the Christian life and each church is to function like a family. Proverbs 26, or 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 5, Paul charges husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. A, a life of sacrifice for your wives. Or wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So as your husbands are, are leading you in scripture, submit to them. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. The church, we are a family, and we get to model these same things with each other, not just in our homes. They are to be carried out as well in the church. And please don't think that Paul's words are only for men as fathers and sons. Interchange the words for mothers and daughters. Paul talks about this as well in some of his other letters. But this is about discipleship. This is about discipleship amongst the entire church. We're to follow an example, but we're also to be an example worthy of following. And so friends, in this church, we talked a little bit about it last week, that we make disciples. Everyone, we make disciples. It's just a matter of to whom. Are you making disciples to Jesus? Or are you making disciples to someone else? Or to something else? Brothers and sisters, let's be a church that loves God, loves others, and makes disciples as we train each other up in the way that we should go. Paul has words for Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, a few years later. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust 
to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, as a son, he has served. It's doulos, the word that Tyler mentioned a few weeks ago in his sermon where it's referencing to Jesus back in chapter two, verse seven, taking the form of a servant. And we as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we serve the same Lord. The servant role of Jesus is the example that we are to follow as we are serving. Timothy is the model of living like Christ, concerned for this church serving this church, seeking the advancement of the gospel in this church. Paul trained Timothy to therefore go and train this church. Paul reiterates his submission to God's sovereign plan again in verse 23. He wants to see how it will go with him before he sends Timothy. So what is going on here? Is Paul being selfish? I want, I want Timothy for myself. I want to figure out what's going on in my circumstances before I let this brother return and is released to go back to Philippi. Should I wait for my schedule to clear up before I serve or more savings in my bank account before I give generously? That decision I need to make at work or at home or with my neighbors. Should I wait to see how it goes with my schedule or with me before I step out in faith? Maybe. Maybe not. What Paul is saying, Timothy is here with me in this prison cell. Eventually, I hope to send him to you. Timothy is genuinely loving Paul as well. Timothy was probably in this cell caring for Paul. He was tending to Paul's needs. Where we remember God's word that we are to love God and love others. If we see someone who needs to be loved, we should love them. If we see a need, we can give generously. If we see an area where we can serve, we can serve sacrificially, where we can help each other to be holy. All of this is the clear will of God in the Bible. And we have freedom to serve and to give of our time, talent, and treasure. And sometimes we get the option to choose one area of service versus another. And so for Timothy, Paul wanted him to serve him at this time. Paul would eventually leave prison, but later would return. And it will end up at the second time in his death. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul asks Timothy to come back. Like many of us, we would want our son or our daughter or our spouse or a person who loves us to be there with us when we are suffering most. And that's Timothy for Paul. Paul wasn't married. He had Timothy. He had brothers and sisters in the church. The bold, strong man Paul needed someone there to comfort him. And Timothy, he is an example of sacrifice and care and service to the church. He is submitted to God in this process, whereas to live is to be like Christ. And friends, we follow 
Timothy's example of service, thinking of others more significant than ourselves because God has counted us more significant than himself by sending his son to die in our place on the cross and for our sins. Where Jesus took on the form of a servant to allow us to have eternal life and that service then allows Timothy to model that for us and to lead to true gospel joy. But it's not just for one individual to follow. It's for the entire church. It's great to have a mentor. It's great to have a protege or a disciple. But the entire church, we disciple each other. I had a friend who encouraged me years ago when our kids were really little. He said, Aaron, you know, you only have so much of a role in the sanctification of your children. They're eventually gonna have that teacher or that professor. They're gonna have a spouse or that boss they can't stand or they're gonna have children. And all of these people will participate in the sanctification of your children, Aaron. Don't worry. And so like all of us, we all get to participate in each other's sanctification and growth. We are all different. We come from different backgrounds and have different skills and different ways to see things and we can help each other to grow. The church makes disciples, not just individuals. And the church is a family where we can trust God's sovereign plans, we can be genuine with each other, we can focus on each other, we can mentor sons and daughters, we can respect and follow mothers and fathers. We are in this together, and it's for our joy to see growth happen. And so we can follow Timothy's example. Timothy is Paul's man who models for us to live as Christ. And now we'll see Epaphroditus, who I believe models how to die for Christ. We'll pick it back up in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So who's Epaphroditus? If the Waldens have a boy, I think we should all take a vote and that could be the name of their son. Do we agree? This is the only book in scripture where Epaphroditus shows up. He's a native of Philippi. He was sent by this church with a care package for Paul while he was in prison. And after receiving this gift from Paul and spending some time, Paul sends Epaphroditus back home. And he probably carried this letter to the Philippian church back to his hometown. In verse 25, we see Paul describe this man. He describes him as a brother. He calls him a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. But he's not just a brother. He's not just a fellow worker, and he's not just a fellow soldier. Paul says he's my brother, my 
fellow worker and my fellow soldier. Epaphroditus has personally blessed Paul. He's Paul's brother. Probably not just as a Christian brother, but as a close friend. Paul has an affection for Epaphroditus. When they worked and served next to each other, they did so for each other's benefit, each other's growth, each other's joy. He's his brother. He's also a co-worker. And this term generally refers to someone working with God in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3.9 is an example. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Epaphroditus was more than a UPS guy. He probably proclaimed the gospel with Paul in prison, proclaiming it to the prison guard, what we saw in chapter one while he was visiting. He was also a fellow soldier. As we talked about a little bit last week, that life is a battle and we are to fight for each other's holiness. And Paul has already called us in chapter one to stand firm and strive side by side. And these are not passive terms. These are military terms against a common enemy. So please don't think that we should go into each other's office on Monday and fight your friend's boss who your friend keeps complaining about. Paul here is referencing a gospel adversary. But we are to come alongside a brother or sister who's ridiculed at the office for proclaiming the gospel. Or maybe down the road, one of us loses our job because we want to follow Christ. Where we as a church can come alongside that person to encourage them, to comfort them, to meet their needs when they don't have income coming in from their job. That's what fellow soldiers do. Where we have no man or woman left behind. Here at Cornerstone, we have a new program that we started up in the fall called Growing Leaders. And these brothers, we desire for these brothers to come together. They're brothers that have come to us who have asked to be in significant roles of leadership. And they're also brothers that we have seen them serve in significant roles of leadership. And we want to develop this in them. They're Phil Lewis, Wes Brown, Dave Sater, Dave Bridges, Bruce Post, and Eric Eberlein. And my hope and prayer is that these men would enjoy serving you, but would also enjoy serving each other, with each other, growing in their friendship with each other as they serve you as this church. And so brothers and sisters, pray for these men. Pray that they would love to serve together. Pray that they would love to fight with each other for the sake of the gospel. It would be for our collective benefit. But may we all follow Epaphroditus and Paul's examples. Where Epaphroditus directly blessed Paul. In verse 25, it references how the Philippian church blessed Paul through their Congregant, their member, Epaphroditus, as he was a messenger and a minister. 
messenger, this word is the same word for apostle that we see in scripture. And like Paul is an apostle or Peter is an apostle, it's a missionary or a messenger sent with a message for someone else. Epaphroditus was a missionary sent by this church in Philippi to go to Paul. Last week, Tyler was a messenger sent from Cornerstone to go to Bar Harbor. Not officially as a missionary, although some of you might think those Mainers are not saved, but he was sent to bring a message to them. And I heard that church was blessed by Tyler's preaching and the time that their family had with them. Epaphroditus was also a minister to Paul. And as a minister, this refers to someone who brings aid or helps with the things going on. This term is used of Jesus himself in Hebrews chapter 8, where Jesus ministers still on our behalf. Angels are called ministers as well, like angels who tended to Jesus when he was in his temptation. Epaphroditus cared for Paul like Paul's pastor. Epaphroditus, though, like Timothy, he has priorities. He wants to care for this church by going back to them. After a business trip, you want to get back home, or after your 17th Zoom call for the day, you want to leave the office and get home. But he doesn't want to get home because he is busy or he needs a break. He wants to get home because they heard that he was ill. Not because he is ill, but because they heard he was ill. Like all of us who have coughed in the last year and a half. I'm not, I'm not sick. I just was choking on my lunch. Epaphroditus was sick. And this sickness for Epaphroditus was real and it was severe. And Paul mentions it three times, saying that he was even near death. But Epaphroditus loved this church and he was distressed because he knew that the impact of his sickness could have an impact on this church and he was restless in this chaos. Paul says that he was near to death in verse 27. And here's where we see Epaphroditus as that example of dying as gain. As Paul said in chapter one, where dying is gain, but in verse 24, chapter 1, Paul says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paphroditus knows the impact of his death on this church. Kind of like I know if I got really sick or I died, the impact on this church. God had mercy on Epaphroditus, Paul says, but if it is to die as gain, how is that mercy? To live is Christ, and both living and dying is mercy and joy. Epaphroditus models Jesus. Like Christ died, Epaphroditus nearly died. Like Christ rose, Epaphroditus gets better. And Paul calls this church to honor Epaphroditus, modeled after the honor Christ receives when he is Lord over all in the end. Like Epaphroditus, our service models Jesus for the sake of the unity of the church. In Epaphroditus, he was spared death, and this spared Paul sorrow. 
And I think it's okay to feel sorrow. I told Tyler this last week. I'm not going to look over there. I said, when, they, when their family eventually moves and goes to care for and lead in another church, it's going to be a sorrowful day. They're like family. We should mourn. We will send them away, but you know what? We'll rejoice when they come back, when they learn that the only place to get real maple syrup is Vermont. <laughs> Sending Epaphroditus back will ease Paul's anxiety. And Paul, he corrects anxiety in Philippians chapter 4. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But here's where your English Bibles will cause some confusion because you see the same word anxiety in both verses. Here in chapter 2, Paul is referencing anxiety as a concern or a care like a burden like being tired after a long day at the office or working in the yard in the summer. In chapter four, anxiety, it's a different word in the Greek. It means a debilitating concern for the things that we cannot control. Like what if the road floods out with that storm? Or what if a power goes out in the middle of winter? We can't control those things. And Jesus uses the same word for these things out of control in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And what I think Paul is referencing here is anxiety is the anxiety that a father has when their kids get their license and they drive away and they have that curfew and you can't fall asleep until they return. Paul calls this church to receive this brother back with joy. We'll do this with a friend or family probably in the next couple weeks with Thanksgiving. Paul also says to honor this brother in verse 29. And Paul concludes this description of Epaphroditus serving to the point where he almost died, risking his life to serve Paul through the Philippian church. And this church, they could not all get on a bus and drive to the prison in Rome, and so they sent their brother Epaphroditus on their behalf. And so that was what was lacking in their service, the entire church going to visit Paul. And in 2 Corinthians 2, I'm sorry, 12, verse 15, Paul says that I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. We're living for Christ is spending of our energy. And to be spent completely is that which could lead to our death. But death is gain. Modeled after Jesus who remained in the grave for only three days so he could give us a newness of life. And we can model Epaphroditus to each other. We can have brothers and sisters whom we love. We can have brothers and sisters who we labor side by side with, where we fight for each other's growth. And we can minister and comfort one another as we remind each other of the gospel each and every day. It's worth sacrificing of our pleasures for the sake of each other. And maybe it would end up in one of our deaths one day. But God is honored in that. 
And like Epaphroditus causes joy to well up in Paul, when we serve like Epaphroditus, it will cause joy to well up in this church. It's for our joy, friends, to live lives of sacrifice. And so my prayer is that we would have many Timothys and many Epaphroditus's in this church. And as I said before, it's not just for men, it's for you ladies too. Maybe with a church that cheers for each other, who seeks each other's interests like a father or mother caring tirelessly for their children. May we be the church that serves and genuinely cares for each other with more than just lip service. We're adding new members in a few weeks at our family gathering. Tyler mentioned that. And if you want to do that with us, could you let us know? Christians serve first by joining a family. And two Christ-like men this morning have given us a great example to follow. Not caring for their own concerns, but serving the Lord and the Lord's church. This church doesn't need Paul, the apostle, They need everyday, ordinary brothers who can care and love them. Cornerstone doesn't need extraordinary men and women. We need everyday, ordinary brothers and sisters who want to live and die like Christ, who just so happen to live here in central Vermont. In Acts 20, when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he said to the elders there in Acts 20, verse 35, He says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. A life of sacrifice and suffering is more joy for you and it's more joy for others. As Pastor John Piper recently said, he says, joy in God gets bigger if I can include you in it so that your joy in God becomes part of my joy in God. And so trust me, you will find more joy and more joy in Christ, in your salvation, through your sacrifice and your offering of service to others like our brothers we saw today. And we may be happy just sitting on the sidelines, but that happiness is only temporary. It will not last for long. But joy is enduring. And when we see it modeled through service, it should cause us to want to follow those examples. And we have that this morning in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so I'll close with Paul's word to the Corinthian church, where Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I think we can continue to connect this to what the pastor to the Hebrews said in in chapter 12. Again, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So friends, true joy comes from following Christ's example. When we get to follow each other, we get to learn from each other, we get to do this together And we get to do it for each other's mutual joy. And we get to be the church that God has called us to be. 
One way we get to do that is by singing. The worship team will come up shortly and they will lead us by example in singing to a God who deserves our worship. And so friends, we can sing loud. We don't need to be ashamed of that because he deserves it. Because our hearts are transformed and we want to worship our loving heavenly father. A little bit after that, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, and our brother Eric will lead us in this, setting an example through words of scripture, reminding us what these elements lead, mean. We can follow Eric's example as we follow him as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So let's participate with joy and let's worship our God and Father. Would you pray with me? Father, if we're honest, sometimes we don't get joy in serving. Sometimes we don't get joy in wanting to follow. And so God, we ask that you would transform our affections, you would renew our mind, you would change our hearts to want to follow, want to worship, want to love you most and first and foremost and each other as we love ourselves. And so, Father, we ask that you'd be glorified in the rest of our time together as we give you all the praise that you are due. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.